My friends, my friends, I, I have a speech here. It's a speech about what this state needs. There's no need in my telling you what this state needs. You are the state and you know what you need. Hello and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we watched the winner of the 1949 awards, All the King's Men, the adaptation of the Robert Penn Warren novel. I get why this won. I do think it is good, but I also spent an inordinate amount of this movie going, God, I wish this movie was better. <laughs> like, I wish this was a better version of this movie. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting shit. There are really one very interesting thing to me about the production of this film that I think both is why this movie is better than most movies we've seen recently and why I wish it were better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so apparently the editor for this film had a really hard time editing what was given to them and was like, I do not know how to make a movie out of this and did a first cut and it was 250 minutes long, <laughs> which is very, very long. <laughs> and basically went to... Oh, I, I I don't know who they went to. Probably some producer or somebody. And was like, look, I just, I can't make anything out of this. And the guy told the editor, look, go back, take the center of each scene, like what you think is the real crux of every scene. And I want you to cut a hundred feet in front of it and a hundred feet behind it. And they did that. They just did that. Yeah. And then made this movie. And it actually works, I think, really well. Though once I learned this about 30 minutes before the end of the movie, I could not stop watching every scene with this in mind. <laughs> so sorry I've ruined this for everybody who watches this movie after listening to this podcast. As somebody who read that fact before he started watching the movie, you can literally see it in scene one. There is a very strange jump cut between our, our I guess, lead, really narrator from the novel walking to his boss's office and then jump cut to a not at all matched shot of him walking into the office from ostensibly the other side of that door. But you do go, wait, is that the same door? Why isn't he doing that arm thing where he's given somebody the wave that he was doing before he walked in? And it's like, oh, it's because we cut this movie to the fucking bone. Like we've just edited this thing to within an inch of its life. And largely, I do think that, I mean, that works better than a 250-minute movie, for God's sake. But you can see the stitch marks. You can see where that happened. And you don't need to look even particularly hard. Yeah, I mean, it made a lot of sense when I read that. I was like, okay, that's why this jumps around the way that it does. Which I think, actually, in principle, is a really good way to make a movie about a political figure. Because a lot of times these movies tend to be way too smooth and, you know, nobody's life or career is really that way. I'm thinking particularly of Wilson, 
Mm. and how it was like, yeah, we're just going to elide all this stuff because you don't need to know anything. Well, what if instead you took the heart of the things we needed to know and then cut all the other stuff around it? Yeah. (laughs) In comparison to Wilson, which is one of the few American political films that we have watched so far, I mean, it's like on a whole different planet to be only five years later. But... Would there have been a better film here if that had been an intentional choice from the beginning and they had somehow shot a movie that would work with that? (laughs) Who knows? Yeah, I do think that this movie kind of feels in macro that the way that that editing makes scenes feel in micro, which is like the core thing is here. Willie Stark is here. And works and is by far the best thing in the movie and really is great. And the further you get out from Willie Stark, the more things are just confusing or not here. Anne seems to be the most damaged by the editing process, because what the fuck is Anne's deal? I guess we should go through the plot, because I don't know that everyone has actually read this book. I read this book the summer between 8th and ninth grade, because we had to for school. I remember struggling a lot with it. And after watching this film today, I'm like, why in the hell would they give this book to a 13 year old (laughs) to read for summer reading before their English class? Because it does not deal with anything that a 13 year old can wrap their head around. Yeah. I mean, I guess the answer is because the ending is that our person who commits adultery is shot and killed. But boy, this movie is very direct about there being a lot of adultery going on in this film. So the plot is, I guess we should follow it basically about Willie Stark, because the inclusion of the narrator character is a little bit weird in this. I think it mostly works, but I do think it kind of works in spite of that in a weird kind of way. I mean, Jack is part of the story. He's just... You know, he's like, what's his face in The Great Gatsby in the book? Like, he's telling the story. Yeah, and I I think I gather from in the novel, it seems a little bit more important that he is our point of view character than in this film, where whenever the film sort of switches over to being about him instead of him being the character that is the witness character to this thing... I don't think it fully works in this movie. But again, we are we should do the plot summary instead of me continually getting sidetracked to things that I just wish worked a little bit better. Right. Yes, go ahead. Uh, so it is mostly about Willie Stark, who is not 100% a stand-in for Huey Long, uh... but is like 87% <laughs> a stand-in for Huey Long. Yeah, okay. And follows him as a sort of young, idealistic, political outsider trying to do good in his small community to being a populist-powered, absolute fucking monster who destroys everyone around him to continue holding on to power, including his adopted son, his wife, his best friend in the world, his best friend in the world's love interest who he is sleeping with, his utterly devoted secretary, and just anyone that looks at him funny. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not wrong. <laughs> and I think that there is not a lot of plot 
there in the sense of once the switch over happens to him becoming this slightly different type of politician, there is a lot of incident, but really you're just kind of waiting for the fall and watching him become more powerful and more dangerous and more let power corrupting him more and more. Right. And you are following this character named Jack, who is the narrator of the novel, but is a reporter who comes from money. And he has a fiance who, like I say in the movie, is just kind of a terrible person, but then is treated even worse than the terrible person she is terribly. She has a brother who is a doctor and an uncle who is a sort of high status judge in... Do they ever specify this is Louisiana or are we just like, this is Louisiana because Huey Long? They don't ever specify his political party or what state it is. It's just like, yeah, I'm from a rural place from back country America. Yeah. It's not even really clear that it's the South, which is fine. In the book, it is definitely the American South, but not clearly Louisiana, whereas... I would say that in the movie, it's not even clear that it is the South. I don't think that it's, you know, Maine, <laughs> but it could very well be Ohio. Yeah. Anyway, he has this adopted son and the scandal that is going to eventually bring him down at the end of the film is that the adopted son gets into a car accident while driving drunk and that is actually not the scandal. The scandal is the kid wants to take responsibility for it. And he has the dad of the daughter who was driving with the adopted son and dies in the car accident uh, and is repeatedly saying like, no, this kid was driving drunk. This kid is at fault. Stark, our lead, has him killed, has this dad killed. And because that's a terrible thing for a person to do. This judge character that is related to all of, of our sort of rich characters that we are following. He's Anne's uncle, specifically. Yeah. Anne and Adam. Adam is Anne's brother who only really becomes important very late in the game. <laughs> Jack tries to find dirt on the judge because his job for Stark is finding dirt on everyone. Does eventually find something, but it is so minuscule and bizarre, it's kind of actually hard to follow what in the hell it is when you finally find out about I it. I have no idea. What is it? They're like, oh yeah, there was this guy... I think the idea... Little hands or something. <laughs> I think the idea was that he sort of first became a successful lawyer representing an electrics utility and that there was some sort of underhanded deal in getting him that position as the counsel to this utility. But, like, I have no fucking idea because everyone's so weird and circumspect about it and the judge is like... I convinced myself I made this dude up because it was so long ago. And you're like, what? What was it? Also, it was 25 years ago. And as somebody who remembers things that happened 25 years ago, come on, dude. <laughs> that does seem kind of weird. I don't like the judge. And I don't know that that's on. Like, are we not supposed to? It's really unclear. The politics of this movie around class are very strange. 
in a way that, again, feels like in the novel, it's probably more interesting. And in this edit, it's just kind of confusing because the rich people are the only people who can see through this guy's scheming ways is not necessarily my favorite moral. Yeah. But that's what we end up doing in this. Anyway, the judge, after having his secret shame revealed question mark, like immediately shoots himself in the head, which resolves Stark's problem somehow. He was going to get impeached because they find the body of this guy he had killed. And somehow, I guess just without an organized opposition, because the leader of the opposition has shot himself, he manages to finagle it so that he wins this impeachment vote and stays in power. But Anne's brother, the doctor, shoots him. Because that was his uncle. The judge was his uncle. Yes. Yeah. Didn't know if I needed to specify that when I said that he was Anne's brother. Oh, yeah. You just seemed, like, confused as to why he would do that. (laughs) No, 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 no. The thing that's confusing to me is what is going on in the impeachment vote. The reason why he shoots Stark is, like, my my confusion there is why nobody else has tried to shoot Stark earlier in the movie. (laughs) It's funny, actually, because in the, I mean, funny, it is a good question because it is asked, actually, or proposed in the very first scene of the movie where they say, oh, he's less likely to shoot someone than he is to get shot with the populist stuff that he is out here spewing, trying to become the local county seat treasurer. Yeah. And I do think there's a lot of really good mirroring of the early part of the film in the later part of the film. There is a very early confrontation with a small town boss who is abusive towards Stark. And that guy keeps saying, let's calm down here. You just be calm because he has complete control of the situation and can essentially go stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. And then at the end, Stark starts adopting that language and saying that exact thing to people regularly. Anyway, the very, very end after the doctor brother guy shoots him is Jack and Anne. I guess Anne agrees. The Wikipedia page says Anne agrees, but mostly Anne just kind of goes, I'm so torn. Decide to let people know who Stark really is. Because even after his death, the people are still animated by him and still believe him to be this great hero. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, I guess, plot-wise. Now, here's the thing that's fascinating to me, is that the 2006 version of this film was also considered to have no narrative cohesion. And it's like a pretty straight forward plot so what is it with people adapting this book that they can't make it work (laughs) because you just told it and i was like oh yeah this is not nearly as convoluted as it seems yeah i from the novel i i have i've neither read the book nor seen the 2006 version but i was poking around wikipedia kind of trying to answer that same question because I really what I was doing was while watching this movie I was like somebody should really remake this because I think this movie is very badly directed I think it's pretty well acted and I think the story is so fucking solid it almost doesn't matter but I just think it's badly directed and I think some of that is the editing and some of that is just 
a lot of things, honestly. I don't think the cinematography is that good. I think some of the casting is weird. You know what I think is super weird about this movie is the tone. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a noir film. (laughs) Like, it reminded me in a number of ways of the like big political boss machinations in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Hmm. except what if you tilted the camera like a few degrees and changed the light a little bit and made it feel a lot more sinister? (laughs) It felt like that across the board, which led to a very different feeling than the novel, which the one thing I really do remember about it is that it is told from Jack's perspective in first person and that is sort of the story of like don't have any heroes basically that people who seem to be these great populist working class heroes will be corrupted by power and eventually you get heartbroken by it right Mm -hmm. that is not what this movie feels like no the way that it is shot the way it is performed the way it is edited feels like you are waiting for Willie Stark to become evil from scene one. And that he does become evil by about 20 minutes in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so fast. And in the book, Jack is like making justifications for everything until basically the very end. Yeah. I do think that that is a very weird energy in this film is that people are forever debating whether or not he is going to go too far. And it's like, he's gone too far. He has very much gone too far already, several times over. I think actually the weird thing is that isn't a problem with Broderick Crawford's performance. I think he's actually doing a good job landing some subtlety, making this feel like a cohesive figure as he falls further and further into moral decay. But everyone around him keeps treating the moral decay as invisible in a very strange way. Right. Like he is having an affair with his secretary, Sadie, Mm -hmm. and is sleeping with other women too. He has basically become an alcoholic He threatens everybody. He takes money from people that he definitely shouldn't take money from in order to be able to threaten other people. Like, there's a scene pretty early on when he tells Jack that he will pay him $300, I think it is, a month to do opposition research. Uh, It's $400 because he was getting $300 before from the newspaper. $400, right. When he tells him that he will pay this and Jack is like, how do you have that kind of money? And... Stark says, I I, I don't need money. Money isn't important. I have people and they just do things for me. I'm like, you are terrifying. And this is like 30 minutes maybe into the film. (laughs) He hasn't even lost the, maybe he just lost the first governor's race or he's just about to lose it. (laughs) The actual out of that scene is after he says that, Jack goes, why do people give you things? And he gets this smile on his face and goes, because people believe in me. Yeah. And that, that's where you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. It's definitely difficult when watching this through and experiencing it through the relatively neutral lens of the camera to understand why Jack gets involved in it in the first place. 
never mind why he stays on for so long. Like when his girlfriend comes to him and says, I want to marry him, but we can't because the divorce would be a scandal. And Jack is like, oh, cool. So my boss is sleeping with you. Um, Well, I guess I better find this oppo research. And like, I'm not going to give it to him outright, but I'm not not going to give it to him if it turns out to be true. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Like, I think Broderick Crawford is doing a good job, like you said, of adding some nuance and some subtlety here. But that kind of magnetic charm that causes people to look the other way from abuses until they have dug you into a pit (laughs) from whence it is hard to crawl out, it just doesn't play with the perspective that we have here in the film. And that's okay, but it does mean that the movie ends up being so different from the book that a difference in degree is a difference in kind. Yeah, I I honestly think it's like, it's it's not okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I think you're putting your finger on the problem with this movie, which is I do think that when he is being powered by sort of populism, when he's been being powered by like the rage of the people, you get it and it works and it's great. But when it's just like, he's so charming, he's so magnetic, People just do what he says. That doesn't actually seem like the way he gets power. That doesn't seem like the way that he is magnetic. No, it seems like he started accepting bribes the second that he had any way of accepting bribes. Yeah. And from what I gather in the book, it seems like Jack in the book is way more nihilistic and way more of a passive observer of everything. But in this, he's framed as, like, our standard, handsome, 40s moral crusader hero guy, which just makes you go, like, what the fuck is attracting you to this dude? He's very obviously a monster. He's very obviously sleeping with your girlfriend. Like, there's nothing here for you to latch onto in a way that would make sense if your character's dynamic was just like, I mean, fuck it, it all sucks anyway. Like, who cares? There's always going to be some bastard at the top. It might as well be a bastard, I know. But if it's like, he's really going to change things, then you sound like a fucking idiot. (laughs) Which is strange because, again, like, the book definitely has that, well, there's always going to be a bastard at the top. So it's like, almost all of it is forgivable, And Adam, who is, again, Anne's brother, has been Jack's best friend for a long time and basically makes Jack see that actually that shit just sucks always is not a great moral philosophy (laughs) and that it doesn't explain, you know, some of the better stuff in history and so that they should have expectations of people and of their politicians beyond just being corrupt, bribe-accepting thugs weirdly i think broderick crawford is giving the performance for that movie yeah oh i think so too yeah but the movie around it is this weird moral soap opera thing about uh boy this guy started out with such good intention how did it go so wrong and it's like did he is that was that supposed to be my takeaway Because that, I don't think, is very effectively drawn. People just keep telling you that's how they feel about him. 
where instead it does seem like it's kind of a sunk cost fallacy. Like, I've committed to this guy, I've done things that I'm not proud of, it has to all be for something, right? Right. That makes sense, and that's the way that Broderick Crawford is performing this guy as getting his hooks in people, but it isn't what the movie is telling you is magnetic about him. Which is kind of weird. Yeah, because on a personal level, I don't understand why anybody does anything for this guy out of loyalty. Yeah. Like, why is Anne in love with this fucker? It is a grand mystery. Just because this movie hates Anne. (laughs) I think I'm going so hard on how much this movie hates Anne and makes her seem like a terrible person. Because I have read the summary of the book and I'm like, oh, she learns about what the judge did. And that sort of moral, like, just destruction, that sense of, like, well, right and wrong have no meaning, lets Stark get his claws in her, is like, okay, that makes sense. And, like, that is a moment I want to see in this movie. And instead, she's just like, he's different than the other boys. And you're like, in that he's a monster? What are you talking about? (laughs) Yes, that is true. Not in a way that is attractive to most humans. The problem is I actually enjoyed watching this movie. So I don't know, like we're going really, really hard at it. (laughs) But I also think it's a good movie in spite of itself. I just think it ends up being a good movie that it didn't necessarily intend to be. I think that is largely true. I'm I'm curious for us to maybe go a little bit like non-standard format wise and like rate this movie right now. Okay. Even though I don't think we're close to the end. Just to sort of figure out if we're near the same page on quality for this film. Because I'm looking at a six or a seven for this. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking seven. Okay. And nothing above that. Like, I could be talked down to a six. I could not be talked above a seven for love or money. Well, for money, sure. Yeah. If Willie Stark wants to grease my palm, I'm I'm on it. But... Uh, yeah, I think our difference here is I can be talked up to a seven. I'm not going above a seven or below a six. I think my natural <laughs> instinct is a little bit closer to six than seven, but like it's one of those two and I'm not really that committed to either one. I think that this movie more works than doesn't work, but in a way, I think that my natural inclination is to be kind of frustrated by that. Because I think there are sort of small moments of this being an even better movie. I think that moment where Stark sort of becomes himself as a politician, where he gets drunk for the first time and gives the speech about how I'm a hick and you're all hicks and they're always trying to screw over the hicks. Let me tell you how they screwed me is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Like makes this movie. And, like, I wish that energy was in more of the film because you do end up having to go, like, well, I guess he's sort of still doing that and that's still working for people. But we're just not watching any of that magnetic, really actually kind of scary (laughs) political acumen from him anymore. Certainly in light of the last six years, yes. Yeah. And perhaps ongoing. (laughs) The movie absolutely is in control of itself there, right? Like, it wouldn't have those torches (laughs) framing people's faces watching him talk if it didn't know that this is terrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it does a really good job handling the complexity of how a populist message can actually be right 
and that people can actually have been fucked over (laughs) while still understanding that a populist politician is a threat. Yeah. It is absolutely in control of that. The final scene of the movie where there is a group that is gathered outside of the capital in the state (laughs) is really frightening. And I started reading their signs and, you know, a lot of them were win with Willie from his campaign, but a lot of them just said fight, 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 or fight Willie and you fight us all. And the feeling that these people stayed all day and into the night to wait for the result and that you had people walking in at the beginning of the trial saying, how are we supposed to have a real trial and impeachment and make a real judgment here with this sort of intimidation? The threat that if he doesn't get off, that they are going to storm the Capitol and probably kill people is palpable it is very well done and i think this is actually one of the moments where the harsh editing works very well yeah is that skip from day to night because that hard cut somehow makes it like oh yeah they've been here for a really long time because in the last frame it was daytime and now it's dark (laughs) and you know you have a crowd that stands around for a long time chanting that they're gonna fight for willie or anybody and that's a tinderbox. And then it ends up exploding anyway because Adam shoots him. But for somehow that undermines the tension of the film and the horror of that moment. Because again, when this movie is personal, it's not on all cylinders. And when it is political, it is dancing up against brilliant. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Because I do think that like, you just sort of end up thinking it's so strange that Jack personally knows the guy that shoots Willie Stark. The mechanics of that scene and all of the character relationships make sense on a certain level. Like, no one is acting out of character or doing something that where you're just like, well, that's just crazy, and the plot is making them do that. But at the same time, it doesn't feel earned in a weird way specifically jack and Anne making this decision that like this is the moment that they are going to turn on stark that this is the moment they're going to stop believing in him it feels like well the movie is done therefore they're going to stop believing in him and not like this is the natural culmination of their character arcs And I think it's really telling that the movie flips back to watch Stark's last words that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things and don't really feel all that of a piece with the rest of the movie. Right. Because basically he just says it could have been all Willie Stark, a whole world Willie Stark, and then dies. And you're like... Yeah, you're a monster. What am I supposed to sort of get out of that that I didn't already get from the rest of the film, you know? The thing that actually feels like a culmination of the rest of the movie is Jack's decision to try and take the scales from people's eyes. Right. But it also feels like that's an insanely late period of time to be trying to do that, and we're doomed in a (laughs) weird way. 
it seems like it's a response to the nihilism arc that he doesn't have in this movie. Like, I don't know if we can ever convince people. It's so terrible. People are just even beyond his death in his thrall. But we have to do something. We can't just sit here and watch and let it get worse and worse and worse. And you're like, yeah, that is all true. I don't know why that's Jack's journey or why he is saying that right now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna go with a six and a half. Sure. I'm absolutely fine. I will say it's the best movie we've watched this year. For sure. And I would honestly say, I mean, Sean Penn's in the only remake anybody ever talks about. So watch this movie because you don't have any other options to watch this story. The remake in 2006 has an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. There's apparently a 1971 Belarusian version that was made by the USSR film industry, which I want to watch the shit out of that movie. Yeah, I wonder how much it just leans completely into, like, democracy is bad. Like, see, it never works. It's always going to be this. Like, weirdly leans into the nihilism, which I would kind of weirdly be into. I don't think that moral is correct, but I think it would be a really interesting angle to try and tell this story from. Uh, yeah, apparently he does not have a transformation from a naive fighter for the rights of the poor into a cynical populist and demagogue. He just starts out as ambitious and corrupt. Yeah, sure. Which, to be fair, in the 1949 American film, it doesn't take long. <laughs> yeah, he gets one newspaper clipping and is, like, drunk on the power of the people. Yes. It's a shame this only got nominated for Best Film Editing, because it is sloppy film editing, but it does save the picture. Like, they're right. It is sloppy, but in a weird way, that sloppiness really serves the film and really helps the film. It's sloppy in the way of there's no way to do this clean. It gets the job done. And if I've learned anything from this film, it's that the ends justify the means. And so if the means don't work to wait, I'm sorry, I'm getting a I'm getting additional information that's not at all the moral of this movie. No, no, it was not. I'm not really questioning how good this movie is, if that was your takeaway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's... Okay. Um, I, again, I think that that kind of editing ends up being really good at creating a certain tone, but I'm not sure that that tone is necessarily what we want for the whole film. You know what I think actually would be really nice not to do that thing where we're like, I would prefer this movie if it were this other movie that doesn't exist. Yeah. But if the backdoor deal scenes, which is a lot of it, which is most of it, felt smoother as compared to the public populist stuff, which would be highlighting the manipulative quality of Stark behind doors... And then that when he gets on the soapbox, he seems more authentic performing than he is off stage. But I'm not going to make that movie because I'm not a movie maker. Yeah, I do wish that we got a good remake of this movie more recently because I do think it's kind of ripe for doing a remake. But apparently we tried that in 2006 and it was an extremely bad idea. So maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But next week, next week, I guess we didn't say if you should watch this movie, 
Or did we? You did. You said that we should. Okay. Since the other option is the 2006 Sean Penn version with 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. I filed that in my head under Sean Penn slam. Good. Um, <laughs> so I didn't think of that as saying whether we should watch this movie or not, which, yeah, great. We did that. Yep. Next week. Next week is Battleground, which is about uh, American soldiers. I guess in World War Two. Ah, during the Battle of the Bulge. Sure. Yeah. It's the guts, gags, and glory of a lot of wonderful guys. So sounds good to me. Wow. <laughs> you know, gags is just one of those words that never has sat well with me in any context other than than the verb. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing where you are trying not to or about to throw up, and we want to apply this to like horsing around i don't get it but that's fine yeah even in the context of jokes it always sounds pejorative like when a joke sucks you call it a gag yes exactly and like is that because it makes you do that <laughs> maybe anyway tune in next week to find out if the gags of battleground are justly called that <laughs> And how wonderful these guys are. And until then... Until then, this was a novel turned into... A, this was confusing. But good? I think good. I think it was good. This was not 250 minutes long. And for that, I am grateful. There. Good. Great. That's a definitive. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Why don't you put something on the phonograph? A low-down mean blues. Play it over and over again until you crack it and get sick of it and then go back to work. I do it all the time. That's not my problem. No, it isn't your problem, is it?